resident lighting specialist to our Welcome to Residential Tech Talks. I'm Jeremy Glowacki, executive editor of Residential Tech Today. On this week's podcast, Walt Zerby joins us from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where he is Senior Director of Technology and Standards for Cedia. Walt and I, like many of you in the audience, were in Denver, Colorado at this time last week, attending a very energetic and inspiring Cedia Expo event. Our guest today was not only checking out as many new products and technologies as he could on the show floor, but was also participating in multiple Cedia, the association, hosted education, training, and panel discussions, and hosting the Cedia podcast directly from the exhibit floor. Today, we'll discuss a little bit about all of that, but most importantly, we'll dive into perhaps the biggest news from the show, the long-awaited release of the Cedia and CTA RP22 Immersive Audio Design Recommended Practice Document. To quote Ben Hobbs, Managing Director of Cedia at Home, the recommended practice offers consensus on home cinema design from some of the industry's most knowledgeable individuals. It's a design document and tool for home entertainment spaces of all sizes, accessible to both industry newcomers and experienced engineers. These recommendations allow designers to aim for levels of performance with verifiable benchmarks. Now, in my own words, RP22 is a really big deal for our industry. And here to tell us all about how it came together and what it includes, welcome to the podcast, Walt Zerby. Thanks for joining us today, Walt. Absolutely, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. And I always love your background. You got a lot of looks like a dusting nightmare, but I love it. <laughs> we recently, speaking of dusting nightmare, we recently had our our hardwood floors refinished, and uh, oh. I had to move all of our furniture out of the main level, which is a nightmare. And <laughs> I mean, talk about networking gear and all that stuff. I did my best to build shelves so that I could keep things connected. I just had my integrator in today, though, because I I could not get my TV to shut off with my Control 4 remote. And you know what it was? It was an IR um, connector oh, that I- An emitter that's An emitter off. that I did not, it did not plug in hard enough to the um, back of the Control 4 piece. It was really frustrating. So, oh. so I, I paid for a service call for him just to go, that's weird. It's, it's in the right spot. It's just not pushed. Oh, there it is. It, it wasn't pushed in hard enough. <laughs> so I had him do some other work, you know, some cable management stuff, because it was just like- a mess back there, but uh, uh, the shelving I replaced with something from somewhere else in the house. And my wife decided we didn't want there anymore, and I said, "Great, well, where is that going to go?" And I decided I would bring it in here. It, it's full of stuff, obviously, and it is a nightmare for dusting. But uh, <laughs> long story short, <laughs> thanks for noticing. Um, but you know, it, it was great seeing you at Cedia, um, and I, I was just having one of my my rare uh, breaks where I was trying to take a load off, sit there, talk to Bill Scare at the Cedia booth, and there you were, and you asked me to be on the podcast that day, which I couldn't, but the next day I did, and yep. it was the very last one. You did multiple podcasts a day, and um, mm -hmm. we literally shut down the show. Um, they were doing closing announcements as we were wrapping up, but it was such a great group. You You had pulled together this international collection of integrators and, and mm -hmm. distributors. And I didn't know, uh, I only knew uh, Peter Aylett. That was the only member besides you on the panel that I uh, was familiar with. And the rest were all newbies for me. And it was great to hear different perspectives. Like what a great collection, right? Yeah. That's one thing I love about trade shows. And I love about this industry is we are global. So I think it's awesome. And we had quite a global crew also on RP22 which I think is in extremely important. Um, there are different ways of doing things in different parts of the world and there's different experiences. So uh, I, I'm a firm believer in I need as big of a diverse crowd as, as I can get from, from a, you know, where you live and work standpoint, but also from uh, your, an experience level standpoint and what you might focus on in, in the industry as, as your specialty. Yeah, that's that's a great uh, way to think about it. And I know that CD is such an important um, association globally. And um, and and I as I as I talk to the CD team, they're just um, different different needs, different um, perspectives out there um, 
the U.S. audience is not the same as the you know European audience and other parts of the world. And um, there are similarities, but you go back to the basics of building styles and things. But there's more than that um, that that yep. you have to know about. But um, you know, before we dive into RP22, because I really feel like that's going to be most of our conversation. Um, I want to get to know you a little bit more just for folks who might just need a refresher on your background and how you got to get to Cedia. You've been there about six years, I think. Uh, um, yeah. Yep. Going on seven. Okay. In, yep. In April. And yep. so you're well-established there, well-known well for the podcast, obviously. Um, and you have this background with um, some notable companies, but uh, also a bit of a, um, looks like audio engineering, maybe uh, music education early on uh in your college time period if you go way back is that true yeah yeah i did some audio recording classes uh under alan kefauver at peabody conservatory music in baltimore um yeah so i was basically into hi-fi the minute well i could play i could play the piano i played the piano when i was little i could hear a song and, and play it okay so that kind of started my fascination with music uh, and my dad was a hi-fi guy, so um, I was infatuated with that, and I wasn't supposed to touch his stuff when I was little, but of course <laughs> I did, and when he wasn't home, I really did, and um, then we started making speakers, and um, and I'd, I'd get Heath kits and Dynacord kits, and I'd get all kinds of stuff like that for Christmas, which, uh, which I loved, which kind of threw me into a fascination with electronics, and as most people in this industry – I would say a lot of people got started in 12 volt or they were just hobbyists and technical people and doers. I had that same honest, honest start of being uh, fascinated by music, being fascinated by technology. And wouldn't it be great to have a career uh, doing stuff like that? So that's the real early days. I don't think I've ever said that before. <laughs> hey, that's what we like. We like getting the new stuff in. Um, yeah. And, and I think, um, Obviously, I, I guess I probably first crossed paths. I always say that and it sounds like I can't get those words out. Crossed paths uh, <laughs> with you. I don't know if it was way back at Rust Sound or if it was uh, when you ended up at uh, um, Legrand with you know, Nouveau and the OnQ. Um, I, yeah. I kind of blend all that together, so I'm not sure. It probably was Rust Sound. might have been Rust Sound. I don't think it was OnQ. Uh, that was where I, I – I had an integration company that I sold and um, – Amp at the time when they were spinning out of the hostile takeover by Allied Signal, which ended up being Tyco. Mm. Um, they used to use the. I had an integration company, and they used to do use my houses to show their products off. So uh, I decided to get more involved in the product development side of things. So I switched over and went to um, to on Q, and then that just led to Russ Sound Duvo, and but a lot of volunteering uh, for the CTA which was at the time was a CEA consumer electronics mm -hmm. association. Um, and then Cedia uh, volunteering for them on their technology council and then um, co-founding the R10 standards group. So I did it on the CTA side and um, Mr. Dave Pedigo did it on the, uh, on the Cedia side. Right. And the whole impetus for that was as I was doing standards at the, at the, CEA at the time, everything was bucketized. They got the audio guys, the video guys, the networking guys, the protocol guys. And we're like, well, who's, who's looking at all this holistically? Cause that's what we do. And they said, nobody. And they said, well, who's, who's focuses focused on the installation of this stuff. And they said, nobody. Hmm. So that was the opportunity to say, okay, we need a group that focuses on uh, the installation of, of technology. So okay. that's how that whole thing started. Okay. Well, and before we move further into that, you were with Nuvo, you mentioned, which is a brand mm -hmm. that doesn't exist anymore, if I'm correct. Correct. Um, I actually had that Powerline audio product in my house for a long time. That was Rust Sound. No, it was- a Oh, you had the Nuvos. You had Nuvos. That was before I was there. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't a big, but wasn't a big hit with the integration community because they didn't like the power line thing, and I, I, I kind of understand that. But it was a fun way in for me to retrofit multi room audio before mm -hmm. I got integrators in here and started fishing 
wire and network cables through my uh, ductwork. But, um, you know, I knew I learned what was possible later on. I could have had all along. But at that time, I was like, no, I got to use existing wire. And it it was cool for for a transitional product for me. But um, um, but that standards thing, I mean, obviously, that that brings us into this this new documentation. And it's um, it's really recommended practices, right? It's um, yes, it's a different kind of lingo there. and, it, and I can explain the difference to you there. Um, yeah, let's there's do just that. There's, there's just two words. If something to, is a standard, then you they, you use the word shall. You mm. shall do this every time. So a great example of that would be an RJ45 terminating an RJ45 connector that'd be 568A or 568B. You you shall put these wires in this in this order every single time. Mm-hmm. A recommended practice is should. Mm. In fact, you can't use the word shall that that's like against the rules. Okay. So the reason why, uh, the immersive audio record in practice, and we're just going to say RP 22 for now, because yeah. it's, it's a mouthful to say the other one is a recommended practice is because we can't say you should put the speaker here every single time mm-hmm. because, um, rooms are different. Sizes are different. Um, uh, layouts are different. So therefore, uh, as everyone probably knows, audio is a real, is, is difficult, mm-hmm. especially in small rooms. And you need to get creative sometimes in, in how you solve problems. So that's why it, this is a recommended practice and not a standard. But it was developed just like a standard would be developed. So under the ANSI accredited uh, accredited process, because um, the R10 group is a ANSI accredited standards body. And that doesn't mean we can't do international stuff. That's just paperwork. Um, we could we could take a standard and make it an international standard by submitting what we've done. But the bottom line is we follow a process that is fair and balanced. Um, it's it's done by consensus. Everybody has a voice. Nobody can uh, can strong arm the the effort, and that's why that's so important and why we follow that process no matter what we're doing. Well, as you get into the document, which I, I told you offline that we had, a, I had a chance to download the PDF version. You've got a book version there um, that we're, I was seeing actually at the show. And Peter Aylett was very happy to um, walk, march around and show it to anybody that would look because he was so <laughs> proud of it. And uh, he was integral on it, working group chair. Um, yes. But let's, there's a long list of volunteers that were involved. And uh, not to put you on the spot, but who who actually did all the work? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> who actually got <laughs> who, who actually got down and actually wrote this thing? Because um, it was really well done. That you know, thank you. I, I might have changed a couple of capitals to lowercase here and there. You know, as an editor, I kind of look for those things. But uh, it was well explained and not in a way that like went over my head. And I'm not a techie, like in the weeds kind of guy. I'm like a big picture person. Yeah. And some of the definitions just alone were like. Oh, that's that's how you explain that, you know. I love how like a crossover was explained, and I've always had the hardest time because I'm not able to use that language. Just it doesn't fly off, you know, out of my mouth as well as some of the audio folks that I talk to. Yeah, it, it was really good definitions just to start, kind of set the stage. Here's what we're gonna. Here's the terminology we're gonna use. Here are the abbreviations. You know, all of that sets the stage. It also tells you what it's not gonna be. Um, yes, it's not about how to measure or test. It's, it's about consumer, not theatrical, you know, um, spaces, uh, not about how to position speakers around, um, the video wall that we were all talking about at CDA this year. Um, that's to be determined later and understand that's a big deal for the future, but, uh, it's really good just to sort of be up to date on all that stuff and then talk about what immersive means. Um, maybe we start there. What's, what are we trying to talk about? We're, we're not just talking about like a Dolby Atmos type of thing. Um, no. And I just wanted to back up a quick second just to let everybody know that we had uh, 18 to 22 people <laughs> on on our work group calls every week for an hour for three years. And they would call in all over the world. They, they we And that was kind of one of the jokes. Um, um, you know, what job say to you on, oh, I'm, I'm in California right now. I'm in Idaho. I'm yeah. in, in, out of the country. So, um, I, the only reason why I bring that up is we're only as good as the sum of everybody that's creating this stuff. This is not a closed group. Yeah. 
if you're a CDA or CTA member, you're more than welcome to be part of these things. Mm. Don't be intimidated by it. You might sit quietly for a while until you get get used to it and get the feel of things, but it ends up being professional development and discussions with people you would never have an opportunity to have, mm. but you do on these calls. And oh, by the way, we're also ha- happen to be creating a document. So yeah. it, it's, it ends up not really being work. It ends up being a really heady, let's get into this, whatever we're creating. And, and it's pretty awesome. So I just wanted to make sure I, I extended that invite. Um, if you wanted to get involved, it's standards at cedia.org. And, um, and we can get you involved. That's really great. And and that career development part of it is really an interesting um, detail that you you stated there because uh, you're learning so much in the process of doing it. You, yep. you, you tend to kind of think that there's a lot of egos and people with big opinions, but when you all are like, you know, as knowledgeable and in the, in the field as, as the people are on this list, it's, uh, there's a, still a lot to learn from each other. Yep. Um, school of hard knocks and actual experience is very different. So yes, today's episode of residential tech talks is brought to you by nice, the global manufacturer of smart home security and building automation solutions. Nice is bringing together 30 years of innovation with award-winning products from Elan, Speakercraft, and Panamax to create a holistic ecosystem for builders, integrators, and consumers. Learn more about how you can create one home with one solution at go.niceforyou.com backslash RTT. Maybe then, then we we talk about what what are we what are we saying here in terms of what immersive? Oh yeah, you asked me what immersive was. Yeah, yeah. So that's a funny question because immersive could be a really good mono presentation with a really large screen. Um, the bottom line is what we're going for with this entire document is a couple things. Number one, we're talking about immersive as it relates to multi-channel. So whether that be Dolby Atmos or DTS or RO3D or THX, um, we we don't we don't care. We also don't care about what the room is used for. We don't. It, this isn't for cinema. It isn't for theater. It it's for everything. It's for streaming, for gaming, for music, for movies, for wellness, for whatever soundscapes. We don't care. So that is a nice wide open slate. What we care about and why we created this is in our world there, everybody buys everything based on metrics and on data. You choose what drill to get because uh, how much torque it has, what what size bits it can hold uh, is, you know, if it's battery operated, what kind of amp hours do the batteries have cars, everything the same way, but we never had anything tangible for an immersive audio system. Uh, the general thing would be you'd, you'd sit down with your customer, you'd say you'd figure out a budget, be like, okay, I'm going to deliver you a X dollar uh, system and that's it. So that could be a good system. It might not be a great system. Uh, but what we decided to do was let's have metrics. And we, we created four different levels. And the most controversial level is probably level one. And level one means uh, if you don't meet level one, then we don't believe the system uh, does a good a good enough job to to uh, convey basic artistic intent. That's probably the most controversial. Now, who wins by these levels is basically everybody. The integrator wins because they can say, "I'm going to deliver you, Mister Customer X. It will perform, you know, this way because I'm designing it to do so." And you can go over the top with with the amenities and the appointments, you know, the chairs and the furniture and the lighting and everything else. But what what we wanted to get settled was what is the actual audio experience going to be like? So level one is the minimum. Level two is a step up. Level three meets or exceeds that of a commercial cinema. And level four is sky's the limit, state of the art, uh, which, which is, uh, you know, basically a really nuts system. (laughs) Now, that being said, it all goes down to room size. And why I say that is what this will do is it will get rid of a lot of common problems. Somebody stuffing too many seats in a room. Mm. 
somebody being against the sidewall or against the back wall, that person now is going to be dominated by the speaker that's closest to them. They're going to have a terrible experience. So level one can be done with a simple AVR and bookshelf speakers as long as you have the data on those products to properly design uh, those products into a room that is acceptable for that gear. So if you put an AVR and bookshelf speakers into an eight seat, you know, giant room, it's not going to meet level one. Mm. But if you put it in a smaller room, maybe three seats, and it's a room that's sized appropriately for that gear, it's going to really shine. So the manufacturer also wins. The customer wins because they know what they're getting. The integrator wins because they know what they're delivering. And the manufacturer wins because they know their stuff isn't going to be used out of context. And I'm sure there's plenty of people that have had systems put in that were ill, that weren't designed so well. And then the customer ends up saying, well, yeah, I got this, but you know, I don't really like it because it doesn't, doesn't do a good job. So that's, that was kind of the impetus is to get back to design and, um, and curate systems to a performance level. And then there's 142 pages of that to accomplish that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a really great way to, to simplify it just to get started is that room size part of it. Because I guess I, I wasn't reading it with a fine tooth comb. I was scanning, getting ready for our conversation, just kind of getting a sense of it. And I was looking for those elements that said, these, these are the differences or this is what we're, you know, the most essential part of this. And obviously there's a lot that goes into it, but having just the start starting point of appropriate size for the room um, really kind of puts it in context. And I, I thought another one was maybe like uh, that even experience for all audience members. It's kind of maybe what you were saying there yep. with the room. Um, just trying yep, to- that, that goes down to your dispersion characteristics of, uh, of your speaker, of how many speakers you have for the space, like overheads. Did you use front wides? Um, things like that. Uh, we do. And, and some of the parameters f- vary between levels, like for level one, some parameters we just put not applicable. Yeah. It, it, it's just not, it's not, it doesn't matter for a level one system, but for a level two, three or four, it matters. And then for a level two, three or four, the tolerances are tighter hmm. for that parameter going through the levels. Yeah. And so some of the uh, criteria that, that you talked th- through, there's nine um, core criteria and uh, I can read those off since. Uh, yeah, go I ahead since right. you have it open. Yeah. Dialogue clarity is the first one, which is yep. great. Localization accuracy. Um, and that that's probably like a sa- surround um, kind of effect, right? It, it would be everything because um, <clears throat> things in, well, you have channel-based audio and you have uh, object-based mm-hmm. audio. But basically, when you are in your position, and by the way, the main seat we call reference uh, seating position, mm-hmm. not reference listening position, because we're doing a video companion to this right now. So mm-hmm. you should hopefully you shouldn't listen to the video, because if you do, then your projector's in the room and it's making too much noise. Right. But that is exactly, all those speakers work together as a system, and this RP22 is all about the system and how it performs holistically. Right. Um, that localization is when you're seated, how well um, does that in that particular seat, um, can do you have good localization accuracy by the combined effect of all those speakers? So when something pans left to right, mm-hmm. left to overhead to right, or front to overhead to back, or diagonal, or who, who cares what direction, you can track it mm-hmm. because that's the whole point. Okay. And then the next one, number three, is sound movement somewhat yep. similar. And then four is sound field immersion and envelopment. Yep. And five is tonal balance or timber. Yep. That's uh, a very important one. Yeah. So explain why. When you have, when you use speakers, if you mix and match products that have different timbre, then when something pans between them, that sound will sound very different. So you, that is something that gets very critical when you get into a level three, four system, level one system, not as much level two system. We definitely are caring, but, um, you need to use products that are voiced similarly. I mean, mm-hmm. ideally, if you use the same speaker everywhere, that, that would be the best Tom or match you could get. Right. But a lot of manufacturers do pay a lot of attention to that and have a model line 
of different SKUs that do uh, match timbre wise. And that has, that plays a huge role in all those other parameters you previously just read. Right. Yeah. And, and as I meet with uh, speaker manufacturers, that that's so often a, a major conversation is that this family mm-hmm. all, even though you've got an end wall, you've got a box speaker, they all are basically that same tone all the way through um, yep. that family. Uh, number six is dynamic range. That's mm-hmm. pretty self-explanatory. Now, now we, we can just stop on that one for a minute. Sure. That's a great easy one to explain in RP22. Okay. The dynamic range requirement for a level one system is what? Is that 95? I think so. Do you have that there? I don't have it right there in front of oh, me. Oh, you just wrote down the words. Yeah, I had the um, list. It, it's a much lower target than it is for like like level three, which is going to be meets or exceeds a um, commercial cinema. That dynamic range target is going to be 105 dB at the reference seating position. Uh, level four is going to be higher. Level three and two are going to be lower. Mm. So that's a prime example of how levels differ between um, how parameters different differ between the levels because the more volume you need, the more amplifier power you need and the more headroom you need and the more capable of a speaker you need and and all that stuff starts to ramp up a bunch and now you're into more cost and more design so that we we thought that was a great key parameter because many people don't want 105 DB. Um, that's pretty dang loud. Yeah. Um, I know a bunch of folks that do, but I personally don't. Um, I like to keep it around 95. So if that's a design goal, then great. That means I can, I can be more efficient with my design and my product selection. Very good. Yeah. Number seven is base impact, which is a good way to put, uh, put that one because there's a lot that goes into the low end and the the subwoofer yep. performance. And the base section is is fairly large. Uh, there's bass is tough. Yeah. That's one of our issues with small room acoustics. Right. And and uh anyone that was at the the Trinoff uh <laughs> demo, you saw like an extreme version of trying to solve that problem, right? Yes. Um okay, and then n- number eight is audience coverage, which is probably my favorite one because that that's a, that's what you want to do. You want to have that experience be great across the all seats and yep and then uh number nine is sound isolation which again you go into a lot of detail at the end about uh acoustics and uh and sound treatment and those types of things and, and what yeah now sound isolation is another great one that really differentiates the levels mm-hmm. level one sound isolation is super light requirements mm-hmm. um level four it's extreme because you want an incredibly quiet room and incredibly quiet rooms are purpose-built rooms, and that and you're talking quite quite involved. So much so, you might bring in an acoustical specialist to to pull off a level four room. So, yeah, that's that's another great parameter. And then we have our, our wheel. I don't know if if you saw on page um, thirty six, we have our balancing performance objectives. Okay, so. We we looked at all this stuff as being important for the performance of a system, and I'll just quickly read it. There's three main tenets, which is what you talked about, the spatial resolution, the timbre, and the dynamics. Mm-hmm. And then around all of those things are exactly all the things you just read. So that's kind of our wheel of audio, so to speak. And we just did it graphically so we can explain why. Uh, like for instance, audience coverage is half of timbre and half of spatial resolution. Those two things together uh, are make up audience coverage. Um, sound isolation is purely in the dynamics range. Bass impact is in the dynamics range. So anyway, we we just to try to make people understand we were where we were coming from with these things and why they exist. We did that wheel. Yeah, that's great. Um, I have to admit, I kind of scanned over that just in my prep. And that well, it's a big document. <laughs> it is. There's a lot to get into, and I uh, and I, even though I consider myself kind of a visual learner, um, I'm not necessarily a graphs and charts kind of guy, <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, but that really does um, tell you a lot. If well, with you explaining it like that, and uh, someone had a great idea doing that, honestly, um, in your group. I don't know 
if that was a team effort or somebody just said, there's a way that we can make this look <laughs> really good visually. So a lot of times people came up with ideas, but they all always ended up being team efforts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, well, we could get, we could t- take hours going through this whole thing. Obviously that's not going to be c- possible, but what are some of the maybe finer points that you might want to pull out just to talk about it? If that too broad of a question, you want me to dig into my notes or do you have some things you would like to point out that were interesting? Um, you know, I don't have anything specific to point out because I think you just brought up a bunch of good things that were specific mm-hmm. that we brought up. We have some really great appendage uh, stuff in the appendix, uh-huh. uh, equipment guideline stuff. We've have, we have Todd Welty who was on the group, um, his, his experimentation and subwoofer layouts and, uh, and you know uh, what works well for uh, placing subwoofers in a room. I mean, one thing you're going to learn from RP22 if you don't know already is one sub isn't going to cut it. You yeah. need two to four. So we talk about that. We have some calculations in the back to help people. Uh, we do have the unified speaker layouts. One area I do like is we did our own chart, and we did our. So everybody labels the speaker channels differently. Dolby calls what well, fortunately left center and right are all L C and R mm-hmm. in all of these different formats. And I'm talking about Dolby Atmos, RO3D, DTSX, DTSX Pro, SMPTE, ST3077. Uh so for instance, let me pick one. For Dolby Atmos, the height front right is RFH. In RO3D, it's HR. In DTSX, it's RH slash RTF. So there's three different ways to label that speaker. So what we did is we created a logic system where we have redone it. We've looked at all these things. And the, what, what we're calling that one is HFR. And there's a reason. Um, most people would say front left speaker. Because you know, so the address is, uh, or the street is front and the address is left. Mm-hmm. For all these other guys, they just put L for left. And the reason why we did that is, so everybody says usually S for surround. So why shouldn't you do the ad, the uh, address for, or the street first and then the address for everything? So that's what we did. So we could have a consistent way of labeling things. Um, there, as I said, worry. um, consensus group there are some that had uh issue with that and wanted to just do it old school the way they uh the way they learned it but the the group consensus was we should have a recommended way of labeling your channels yeah that's a great resource there it just gets you all on the same language no confusion um yeah the 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 resources the references in this were just amazing as well if someone wanted to dig in deeper um, to, to look at what documentation you were referring back to, to come up with some of these things that you didn't need to reinvent. Um, there, there's yeah. just so much research, you know, you're acknowledging what's out there, but you're just trying to come up with this one place where it all kind of comes together, um, in a way that is easy to understand. Right. Yeah. And that, that even goes down to your example of a crossover definition. I kind of smiled when you said that because we, we, we reworked that one three times. Hmm. Uh, originally it was just a passive kind of a concept. Hmm. And then we're like, no, you can do this digitally as well. So through DSP. So, and also what definition do you pick? Because you, there are, as you know, as a writer, there's tons of definitions that vary on words. So we would go and look at well, how does Dolby describe it? How does Cedia describe it? How does DTS describe it? And then as a group, we'd figured out, okay, well, which, which definition is the one that we think we should go with? We tried not to invent anything mm-hmm. unless we needed to, because um, like you said, more so reference things that already exist and are settled uh, among the community. And when I say the community, um, we also have visibility with this, with the, the major uh, protocol people, um, Xperia DTS and Dolby, and then there's Simpty and AES. They were all part of the review process for this. 
So we we gave them a 140-page document and uh, unleashed it to the immersive audio groups within uh, the Society for Motion Picture and Television Experts, which is SIMTI, and then the Audio Engineering Society's immersive group, uh, which is um, which is AES. And mm-hmm. those guys, AES is all about immersive now because that's obviously been hit. That's hit really hard in the music world. Mm-hmm. And then we had like 380 comments. Oh come God. back between SMPTE, AES, and our own internal review and CTA, and we looked at every single one of them. Wow! So that, but that makes a much stronger document. It's a great checks and balances. You know, hey, this doesn't make sense, or some would go delve way too deep into into stuff, and others be like, this isn't settled science. So we mm. just took it out. Okay. So yeah, well, that that just really tells you how much buy-in there has to be to make this thing official and get it done finally and print it <laughs> like literally print it um yep. and co- go into the into cedia very confident and uh obviously there's a demand for it you were talking at uh during the podcast how many downloads there already were just there in a couple of days what did i do you remember that number that i said <laughs> i wish i did i wish i did uh, I'm, I'm thinking it was like six or eight hundred yeah that was about right we're at like uh, 1800 now. Nice. Okay. So that's great. And the people that made this up, I did want to make sure we get this across as well. Um, I don't know if I did, I forget <laughs> integrators, acousticians, people that specialize in measurement, manufacturers of products and, um, and then protocol manufacturers. So it was uh, a broad reach on purpose. Mm-hmm. A lot of stakeholders, so, so to yeah. speak. Um, in that. And, um, I, I, I want to leave it to folks then to, to download it's, it's, uh, CDA members and CTA members have a free opportunity to download from the CDA. Everybody website. does. Everybody does right now. Like, does that, it, it, it is free to everyone. Okay. Cause I, that's why I put in my email address. I'm like, I think we're listed. I don't know my CDA membership status as a publishing company and it just, said you're good to go and here it is and what do you yeah. what format do you like all of our standards will be that way it's it's really imp- i think it's crucially important for adoption to not have a barrier yeah. like you need to give us $250 to get this well that's that's going to be some people will be like yeah no i i don't need to to do that yeah. so um they they need to be free so that we and you know yes your membership dues do fund um you know, the time of staff and, and other things to create these things, but then they're free for the world, which is great because you as an integrator, this is, this is a highly visible thing outside of, and getting a little more visible outside of our world, which should ultimately benefit the integrator as well. Because Mm -hmm. if their customer knows about it and you can deliver it and you know about it, then that just kind of raises the tide for everyone, which is kind of the goal. Absolutely. And uh, I'm going to make a little plug because you, you're an employee of Cedia and it's probably not appropriate for you to say this, but I think this just shows the value of Cedia and as an association for anyone, any of those cynics out there that don't understand why they pay dues to an association and you're not, you're no longer the expo, you're affiliated with it, but that's run by Emerald mm-hmm. and you're out there not only doing the government affairs, the Darren Riemann stuff, the the advocacy but you're creating these documents that take years to pull together and, you know, working with CTA is even bigger organization, obviously. Yeah. Um, this, this is a great, just proof of why membership's important and why it's great that we have CDA. Um, Thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate that. But, uh, as we wrap up, um, we'll let people go download this and dive into it themselves. And, and I, I think it, it sort of, if you just take it, one page at a time, go through it, it, it starts to really pull together and make sense. So, uh, we don't need to over explain it, but, uh, as you walked around CDA expo, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm assuming you had enough time to just kind of absorb overall trends and technology developments. What were some of the things that jumped out at you as, uh, as, as I, you know, things that, that are kind of driving what's going on, whether it's audio or video right now. Um, one thing, which I did mention on the podcast, there pretty much is no bad product. So the need for an integrator to, um, 
separate themselves on the empathy side with their customers and on their customer service and on their design uh, became pretty evident to me. Uh, back in the day, people would maybe lean more towards brands hmm. or more towards technology, but technology, other than AI moving into our space, technology is just just has um, you know marginal gains every year. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have like uh, groundbreaking stuff other than AI. So the product's really great. That being said, I was quite impressed with how video walls are going. Yes, I've seen some. Uh, I'm quite impressed with how short throw uh, projectors mm-hmm. are going. I saw a I saw chat now be integrated chat gpt be integrated in a control product mm-hmm. that made it very easy to uh program scenes and and you know macros to use an old school term yeah to happen f- both from a programmer's point of view and from a homeowner's point of view so now we we're solidly th- that's like i know we've had ai in our industry to improve picture quality and other things like that. But this is one of the applications of AI I've seen that are that's really changing uh, the way we interact with, with equipment and the way we program with equipment. I know one of the things we were saying during the show is English is a new programming language. Uh, a lot of people that don't know Python or, or, or HTML or things like that can now use English you know, to generate those scripts. And so I think we're on a, I think we're on a really exciting point of being able to take control to another level, uh, both from what it can do and, and from a standpoint of how easy it is to implement. Yeah. I think that's, those are great observations. The, um, the natural language aspect of, of control just from a voice control type has been a conversation for a while. We weren't calling it AI, although there's a prominent company in an industry with, with AI right in their name. Um, Mm. (laughs) um, but other, the other control companies also finding ways, um, to integrate that now. And maybe even, um, more than one company that, you know, you, you know, there's one obvious control company since we're going to play this game of being agnostic that, that, <laughs> that plays well with Apple. Let's put it that way. Right. Yes. So yes, they, yes. so they have, they have a, a, a natural language kind of application. It's also, uh, the, the Apple, what is it called? The, the tasks or whatever they are, the thing, the shortcuts. Yep. Um, and so using that, which is something you let Apple do all the hard work and, mm-hmm. you know, heavy lifting, and then integrate that in so that you can make some changes and give control for the. I think it's the automator or the automations that's yeah. utilized yes. from Apple side. Yep. Right. And and then uh, a competitor of that company is also doing something similar to that. So it's it's very much um, we're we're kind of coming at consensus again there with way to, the ways that we can do this in a simpler way, um, and also uh, the AI part of it. I, I had to stop and say, are we, are we using this as marketing or is this really AI? You know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I think it really was AI in, in, the, in the kind of pure sense of things that are going to improve stuff, not scare you and, and take over and tell you bad things that aren't true. Um, yeah. So I, I know you were involved in some discussions there with AI. I know that's a big part of education right now and just trying to stay ahead of it and understand where integrators can use it in their, um, even their web design and their mm-hmm. communication with, you know, clients and all kinds of things and all the questions that come in and wh- what is yours and what is created and is it accurate? Are you editing it? Um, so there's so much about AI that that was part yeah. of CD right uh, this year and still, still to be figured out. But, um, from a, from a good, good side of things, I, I agree with you that those are developments that we like to see and all the video stuff. I said that years, several years back, right before 4K came along, Expo had become kind of a black boxes show. Yes. And it was very important problem solver kind of technology, but not very fun to talk about <laughs> um, unless you're just really into that. And then the video companies kind of had to come back and say, help us with 4K. And then, you know, whatever is going on beyond that and, and expensive OLEDs and things. 
and the show became much more visual again and we had started mm-hmm. having fun again. I think it's a great combination of that now. And it was a really great event. Yeah. I think, I think we're really maturing and I, I had, I was on a session done by uh, the DEG with Mark Finer, which oh, yes. was very encouraging for me because now we're, now we're starting to get the eye of the content creators and right. providers. So this was a, this was a session that had a, a senior vice president of content for Peacock and a senior vice president of content for um, Paramount Plus about live sports and some of the um, some of the things that you you know that you can do with live sports. They're interested in our space. Obviously, our customers are stickier than uh, a regular Joe that might uh, download an app for a week or two and decide not to do the the service. Um, it's neat that they're interested in our channel. Uh, I walked these guys around and showed them the kind of stuff that we do, mm. and they were like, what the heck? Mm. And the only reason why I raise all this is we're, we got a big miss the one thing that's really missing on the, on the show floor and, and, and back to that empathy thing and back to that, how do you service your customer thing? What we're missing is the uh, content concierge service. Um, it's so, you know, back in the day we delivered hardware and we walked away because people put discs and tapes in things. Now it's a really complicated landscape of uh, how you find content. How yeah. do I find this team I like to watch? How do I get this channel? Um, what box do I need? And oh, guess what? It changed because now a licensing thing happened and now it's not oh, there yeah. anymore and now it's somewhere else. That to me is a bane of my existence and sure. you know it is for your customers. Yeah. So that was one of the things we we talked about as well is we as an industry really need to be stepping up our game and I don't see why there couldn't be RMR on this just like there is with firmware updates and, uh, and providing, uh, you know, people health checks for their systems. Um, yeah, you, you, I think that's an area that we need to be moving into. Yeah. I, uh, I missed that panel. I'm, I'm, I'm that was a, the major miss for me. I really wanted to be there and I just couldn't get away from the show floor. I'd so packed my schedule and I get it. I even, I even <laughs> lied to Mark Finer and told him I'd be there and it was <laughs> terrible. I felt terrible because I knew I couldn't make it, but, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, I read about it in the daily and it was, it was, um, sounded great. And I agree with you. One of the major questions it used to be what type of TV should I get? What technology, yeah. what's this OLED thing? Now the question is, can I get us just get rid of my cable? Can I get a streaming service? What, what am I going to miss? And I'm like, well, you can't, you can't be a channel surfer like you used to be. You got to jump around a little bit more than, than that. But there are ways to have live TV, obviously the, you know, YouTube and the Hulu and um, all that. But then you you need to know that each thing kind of adds a little bit more cost and you're not going to mm-hmm. get back to what cable costs you, which out, was outrageous and is outrageous. But it still does add up and you're going to be hopping between apps and certain things. Suddenly you can't get a NFL football game on that, on a network channel anymore. So you've got to yep. have another service. So yeah, all that stuff, it's a moving target. There's never <laughs> one final answer on it all, but unless as an integrator, you're up to speed as much as you can on all of it. Um, you're not really being that trusted advisor anymore to your client as much as you could be. Yep. And, exactly. Uh, and I, and I mean, I talked to my own integrator. I said, what, you know, if I'm choosing between Hulu and YouTube, what are you seeing? And it's like, well, here's what a lot of the clients are, are finding from these two things. And I, I made my and, own decision oops. based on interface and you know, what I felt comfortable with, but, um, it, it really, it, I think you just kind of have to be experiencing it as an integrator and being able to give firsthand um, perspective. Yeah. If you can get paid something for that or provide a bundle, that would be ideal down the road. So good to hear that's a possibility. Well, I, I I appreciate your time, Walt. We've covered a lot here and there's so much more to learn about, uh, RP 22. And thank you so much for, for giving us just a taste of it today. Yeah, you're welcome. Can I, can I give you a little hint of what's being worked on that's coming down the pipe? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So we have an effort called RP1, which is Performance Facts. That's our next effort that will be released. Um, we're hoping to do have that released next year. And that is about having, um, think of a nutrition label on, pro, on, on uh, food. We want a nutrition label on products. 
we uh, a lot of things like speakers and amplifiers um you don't have uh, enough data yeah. on the product to know if you can use that in a design so it will cover this many seats at this kind of a volume level in this size room they might be more marketing oriented uh specifications uh and not and leave out a lot of data that you actually need so where our phase one is for speakers and amplifiers. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you just a little, a little example. We got rid of the term Watts for output of an amplifier because Watts vary wildly. So mm. it's now voltage capability, mm. short term, long term, we're using decibels and things like that. So that's one effort. We're also working now on the companion to, um, and the reason why I mentioned these is it's, it's a kind of a four legged stool. So that's the second leg of the stool. RP22 is the first. Um, RP1 is the second. The third is RP23, which is immersive video design recommended practice. So that's the same thing as RP22, except for video. So okay. we'll have four levels of video performance. That's the uh, third leg. And then the fourth leg is a recommended practice on how you measure. And I know everybody measures differently. They all kind of roll their own. <laughs> whether uh you know how they place mics and and how they window things and 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 all this stuff so we're going to do a uh, recommended practice for how you uh, can measure an as built room and i think that will be very useful and there's your four legs well great i i hope that the process is going to be smooth and maybe not take as many years as uh rp22 to get now that yeah you got i don't think so out. we're doing a bunch of stuff in parallel now so we can uh we we've, we've we've been doing this for a while so we can have faster releases. I, I hear you loud and clear. We talked about this a while, while ago. Oh, that's great though. I appreciate it. that. That's a lot of work and and not a criticism at all, but, uh, that that's, uh, it seems like you got a great foundation now with RP 22 and a great model to follow. So, um, we look forward to those, those new, uh, new developments as they come along. So thank you for Absolutely. The, that preview. Walt Zervi is Senior Director of Technology and Standards for Cedia. You can track down Walt at cedia.org or on LinkedIn. And you can get the full Cedia slash CTA RP22 Immersive Audio Design Recommended Practice Documentation free um, at cedia.net backslash advocacy backslash RP22. And that wraps up today's show, which was produced by Residential Tech Today, IPW, and Pretty Easy Podcast. Please check out prettyeasypodcast.com if you want professional and affordable production help on your own podcast. If you're new to Residential Tech Talks, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you watched or listened to this episode. Also, check out all the latest residential tech news at our magazine's website, restechtoday.com, where you can also subscribe to the print or digital magazine and to our Tuesday and Friday email newsletters. Until next time, please stay safe, stay inspired, and let us know if you have a great story to tell. Residential lighting specialist to our residential tech.